You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. My guest today is General Michael Hayden, four-star general, former director of the National Security Agency and director of the Central Intelligence Agency. He's also the author of Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror. Thank you very much, sir, for being with us. Thank you. General Martin Dempsey, who retired about a year ago as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, recently had an interview in Foreign Affairs. And he said, and I quote, today is the most dangerous period in my lifetime. Do you agree with his sober assessment? Here's how I try to frame that question, because I get asked that question a lot. I begin with the thinnest ray of sunlight <laughs> that I can honestly put out there, and that is I'm old enough to remember the world actually being more dangerous. I can remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. I can remember going to DEFCON 3, which was in preparations for nuclear war because we thought the Soviets were shipping some funny weapons to their Arab allies. I can remember Soviet and American armor, gun barrel to gun barrel at Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin. And so I've actually seen it more dangerous, but here's where I, I agree with the chairman. I've never seen it more complex. Hmm. I mean, the multiple vectors of threats that are coming at us. And then I'd finally add, I've never seen it more immediate. And by that, I just don't mean we get to watch somebody's sad, unhappy cell phone video tonight on the news, although we will. I mean, when an event happens, things go bump over here inside of our own country because of the way the world is now interconnected. And so, in terms of absolute danger, now nah, I've seen it worse. But it really feels bad because it's so unpredictable and so relatable. You've kept, as you just mentioned, such a close eye on the Soviet Union and now Russia. Are we not moving towards some type of slippery slope towards resumption of the Cold War, especially after this announcement a few days ago of the abrogation or withdrawal? Look, I agree, Russian behavior has been awful. Frankly, awful from the point of view of the Russians. This is leading them into a very dark place, but you know we can't control that. I would not call it a slippery slope to a Cold War because a Cold War needs a peer or a near peer. They're not a near peer. This is a declining state, all right? This is not a resurgent power. It's a revanchist power. So what's his end game? Well, his end game is to stay in power. And frankly, he can't deliver very much to the Russian people. He can't give them democracy. He's certainly not giving them entrepreneurship. He's running out of things he needs like oil and gas that he can extract and sell. And fundamentally, he's running out of Russians. This is a declining population. I was on Morning Joe and I told Joe Scarborough, I said, Joe, you gotta realize, he's doing all this and he doesn't have more than a pair of sevens in his hand, all right? He knows he's got a weak hand. and despite the weak hand, maybe because of the weak hand, he's playing it boldly because all he has to offer the Russian people is restoration, salving Russian pride, trying to undo things the Russians thought were unfairly imposed on them one, 10, or 100 years ago. And that's what he's trying to deliver, which then makes him, I think, quite dangerous. So are you confident the Russian government is behind the hacking of the DNC? I see nothing in my life experience that would have me question the general consensus that this was done on behalf of the Russian government. I don't think it was done by the Russian government, but the Russian government has used, frankly, Russian criminal gangs to do things on behalf of the Russian state in Georgia, in Estonia, in Ukraine, uh, 
whole series of events, again, done on behalf of the Russian Federation. And so I have no doubt that this is being done on behalf of the Russian state. By the way, you know, stealing emails of a major political party inside of a global adversary, that's actually honorable foreign intelligence. And frankly, I would not attempt to deny that our government may have done similar things in the past to other countries. What was different here, though, is that the Russians, rather than using it for foreign intelligence, they tried to weaponize the information. They are now using that information to affect political processes here. I don't think they're trying to pick winners, but they are trying to get inside our head. You mean to disrupt our process? I, I think it is to erode confidence in our process. All right, just to sow confusion here, to erode the legitimacy of our electoral processes. But I don't think they're trying to pick a winner because, frankly, I think even they realize that's too hard to do. So you used an interesting word, cyber, as a weapon. Right. What should be the United States' proportional, and I emphasize the word proportional, response? Well, I don't know that I would emphasize the word proportional. I would simply put this aspect of Russian behavior and put it inside that big box you already referred to of all those other things the Russians are doing and to which we have not really responded in any sort of robust way. And so I would just put that as part of the bill coming due in terms of American-Russian relations, and I would begin to push back. Now, we don't have to push back in the cyber domain, and Lord knows there's nothing we could do to affect United Russia, which is Putin's political party, and so we don't have to confine our response to this particular Russian offense. How about this? How about we sell defensive arms to the Ukrainians? Something that we've refused to do, and frankly, something that I think is a good idea in its own right. Have you endorsed a political I, I have not, and I've gone out of my way to make it very clear. I have not endorsed a candidate, although I do allow myself to say that one may be undeserving, but the other one's unhinged. Well, let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you this. Some of the people who are supporting Donald Trump say there are checks and balances. And I was reading an interview that you did. You talked about checks and balances are not what we should just be looking at. The U.S. system was designed for speed and decisiveness. The specific question to which I gave that response was the nuclear trigger. It's not designed to debate the order coming out of the Oval Office. All right? But, you know, you don't have to go to things nuclear to worry about stresses in civil-military relations. If, and I, okay, and I fully admit it's an if, if a President Trump governs in any way consistent with the language that candidate Trump has used during this campaign, it makes me very uneasy. I mean, here, let me rephrase what you just tossed at me in slightly different ways. Don't worry about it. The federal bureaucracy will control him. <laughs> All right? That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. Right, okay. right. I mean, you know, let me get really dark, okay? <laughs> you know, once upon a time, another... You're earning your reputation somewhat as a pessimist at <laughs> <Yes>. times. <laughs> you know, once upon a time, another Western democracy says, don't worry about this rabble-rouser from Austria. Hindenburg will be able to control him. You know, a story just broke overnight, and that is that Reuters reported that Yahoo had built a custom software program to search its customers' incoming emails for specific information following, and I quote here, a classified U.S. government demand, end quote. And the article further states that this is the first case of a U.S. Internet provider searching received messages as opposed to reviewing stored messages or scanning a few accounts in real time. Right. What do you know about this? I Absolutely nothing. All right, but I know, I know you want me to respond anyway. So the first thing is I, I know nothing of the facts of the case. In fact, I was asked by a newsman yesterday to comment on it, and I said my comment is I have no idea. Now, let, let me, however, however, offer this view if somebody's a little bit experienced in these sorts of things as to, as to ways to think about it, maybe factors bearing on the problem. Uh, number one, all right, 
news stories about the American intelligence community, especially about NSA, especially about electronic surveillance, usually go to the darkest corner of the room as quickly as possible. So the first thing you need to say is, I need to better understand the facts. Second, this would not be done by the American intelligence community by itself. This is an act of the United States government and would not be done without a court order. Yahoo would never have responded to this, if this is true, without a court order. Third, if the story is true, it is unusual, and it is something that we as a free people have a, have a right to talk about and to better understand, because this line between privacy and liberty, uh, security, uh, all, that's, that's, that's a movable feast. We, we debate mm -hmm. that line based upon the totality of circumstances we are in. This seems on its face to be very dramatic, and therefore it deserves discussion. One more point. When Newsman called the National Security Agency and said, what do you know about it? NSA directed them to the Director of National Intelligence. And the Public Affairs Office at the DNI said no comment. Right? That's not a winning hand. Right. Okay, if we're going to have better understanding, if we're not going to let these stories remain in the darkest corner of the room, the intelligence community actually owes a bit of an explanation to the American people. I'm sure it'll be a big story over the course of the next few days. I think it will. We have just one more minute, and let me ask you, why do you think there has been a turn towards authoritarian populism, and is this the basis of the Trump phenomenon? There is a turn towards authoritarian populism globally. You see it in Venezuela, you see it in other countries in Central and Latin America, you see it in Turkey, for God's sake, you see it in Russia, and, and frankly, I, I'm on record as saying that Donald Trump is the face of authoritarian populism inside the current American political process. It's a global phenomenon. I think it's a product of perhaps a reflection of what we talked about earlier. People are very much ill, at ease. The vectors of threats, the vectors of change, the interconnectivity of things have put everyone off stride. My British friend would say we're all backfooted, <laughs> And when we're backfooted, we look for things that are simple and clear and easy. And very frequently, they're wrong. And I, th I think we're kind of in that position now. I want to thank you for being our guest. Again, Michael Hayden, he's the author of Playing to the Edge, a book that deserves to be in your library. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org.